Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc. on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and here, as always, with Howard Tybel. Pete, how are you today? I'm feeling grand, Howard. Grand. Are you feeling grand? Oh, so am I. Just went on a it's good been... run. My kung fu is strong. Yeah, I actually went to the gym too uh, today, and very. I woke up at five o'clock this morning to try and catch up. Uh, you know, trying to catch up in the middle of the day on the overwhelming amount of emails is just always a mistake. No, so no, you wake up ch- at five, so you feel like you've you've actually beaten somebody to your inbox. It's like a race to your inbox. Because it's all about making sure you stay ahead of other people. That's That's, exactly That's my motto. That's right. You don't have to beat the lion, Howard. You just have to beat the guy you're running against. Pull him out every time. Hey, listen, on October 11th, Ikubo is kicking off its uh, 2015 annual meeting in Philly. Uh, yes, and we're here to get us in the spirit. We have a grand and esteemed returning guest on the show, Lynn Schaefer, vice chair of Ikubo, incoming chair this October, replacing that rapscallion Mike Gower, <laughs> and vice president of administration and finance for University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Lynn, welcome back to Navigating Change. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. I see that we don't have the uh, the distraction of the open bar this time around. It's just yeah. us. You know, I felt like right, but right. You announced her, Pete. With I, Lynn, that was the most enthusiasm I've ever. He's he's not that enthusiastic with me. So you have to I'm, know. <laughs> you know, I always felt like there needed to be music in the background while that was while you were doing that. Uh, that was wonderful. I think that was probably because of our first. Uh, podcast, which was in the bar. That's yeah, in the bar. The cheers, in the bar. The cheers reception <laughs> last at last fall's Ikubo annual meeting. Yes. Uh, so today we're without the added benefit of the glass of wine, but we've all had our caffeine. <laughs> I, I wait, think wait, we can not, pull it off. You're not drinking wine right now. I always have <laughs> wine on the podcast. It's only ten. It's after midnight. Sorry. After lunch. All right. Never mind. All right. <laughs> hey. So you you guys uh, together are going to be uh, doing a presentation at Ikubo this year called Facilitating Strategic Conversation. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment. But first, Lynn, I'm hoping you can give us a little preview about what is to come this year in Philly. The, the tagline for the event is a declaration of collaboration. What does it Kubo have in store for attendees? So we've been working on for a number of years trying to transform Ikubo into an organization to help our members to be strategic leaders. And so the whole focus is of this coming annual meeting is less on tactical kinds of things and more on big strategic questions, solutions, um, strategies for moving forward. So I'm really excited about the general session speakers. They're all huge thought leaders in their own sphere, including the economy, something of great concern to all of us, entrepreneurial activities, cybersecurity, that's one. That's one. I that I that piqued my interest as a nerd. Uh, Teresa Payton, uh, former White House Chief Information Officer. That's going to be a fantastic uh, discussion. She is. She is. Has been in many really top level positions thinking about these things, and I think it's going to be great for our members. Great for me as a member to hear about uh, what things we should be looking for and thinking about going forward. The, the right. The big data in higher ed is huge. That's right. Yeah. And and some famous 
uh, cyber attacks in higher and higher education institutions across the country. Right, right. We get so focused on uh, you know the the financial institutions, we forget about what's going on in these other industries. That's going to be great. Uh, we we have uh, we also have uh, let's see just to rattle off a couple of these. Uh, uh, Daniel Weiss, uh, uh, former president of Haverford College, and um, uh, Jeff Hoffman, uh, innovation and how to inspire it. Another uh, fantastic topic, and and of course uh, uh, Michael Strauss. Common Fund Chief Economist, Chief Investment Strategist on the U.S. economy and capital markets. So a lot of uh, good finance stuff. And plenty of concurrent sessions on leadership, strategic financial planning, uh, and analysis. Just all of the aspects of our work that we need to take some time out at least once a year. Think about, come up with new ideas, take them back home to make our institutions stronger. It's going to be a fantastic uh, presentation. As always, Ikubo puts on a good show, so it's a, it's a real treat to once again be a part of it. Howard, uh, let's talk about this, this presentation, strategic conversations. What are they, and what business do you have facilitating them? Wow, he's, he puts you right in the spot, Lynn, doesn't he? <laughs> what business do you have? Our, you know, our listeners want to know. I'd like to hear know. this. I'd like yeah. to hear this, Howard. Lynn's like, what are we doing? You know, first of all, Lynn, I think that your comments are a nice important yet simple one, which is this idea of taking a time out. I just led a uh, cabinet retreat uh, the other day, and I was struck by, at the end of this, we went around the room and we were talking about how we're taking the conversations we had forward. There was a collective sense, we need to do this more. You know, so this particular cabinet meets once a month. They meet uh, uh, as vice presidents in a smaller basis, on a regular basis. But what was fascinating was, once you dig in, once you give yourself permission to step back from all of the you know, keeping the trains running, this timeout is critical. And, 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 and the hardest thing, I think, for people is to give themselves the permission to do it. But once they do it, it is, you know, tremendously valuable. So that's a context that I think for any of us that have experienced stepping back and going to a conference uh, and learning from each other is, is at the heart of why going to Ikubo is critically important. So for Lynn and I, Lynn and I had a conversation last year about – and we, you know, we've, always, we've always wanted to speak together. I think we've done one presentation together, Lynn. I'm trying to remember when – I mean we've known each other forever – well, not forever, but long enough that I'm excited about this because one of the things I've discovered with, for me and working with Lynn is that she is, in my view, the kind of business officer that understands that she has a role to play in this, but her job is also to engage others. And at the heart of what we, we, we talked about, a critical piece for our talk is Facilitating strategic conversations is not about the the art or, or just the, the mechanics of facilitation. It's about having a mindset. How do we engage others in strategic initiatives so that we get others to buy into where we want to go? And you know, unlike, you know, if you think about my role or, you know, a, a, as an external consultant, we have I, I have the, the, the privilege of coming in and helping, but then we leave. And Lynn and other business officers have, to ha officers have to live with the changes they're trying to implement. And, and, and I think that 
one of the things, Lynn, and I'm curious what you think about this. One of the things that's that's most important, and 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 just business officers need to give themselves more permission to do this, which is to say, you know what? I don't have to have all the answers. I have to find a way to engage the right people to be in these conversations. And then my job is to keep making sure this is moving forward. Um, and I th- my sense of you is that that's how you think about the work also. Is that is that fair? Oh, my gosh, Howard. The hardest lesson that I've ever had to learn in my in my professional career is that I don't have all the answers. And, you know, I mean, so I'm pretty smart and I'm a quick thinker. And so for, for the early part of my career, I always thought, okay, I know the answer. How long is it going to take everybody else to get there with me? Right. And, you know, it was very frustrating. And, uh, you know, there was a shift that happened in my thinking. And part of it was helped by other people giving me feedback that I wasn't really open to new ideas. And so I started listening uh, and found that, okay, other people have good ideas too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's fascinating, Lynn, about that idea of of being willing to recognize that um, – that you weren't listening. I think that's that is so normal and so common that we go into a conversation with others being ready to provide an answer or a solution. And if any message that I think is important for us to convey to our audience and those participating in our session is our willingness to demonstrate patience for ourselves and also patience for others. I think we're so quick to want to have an answer that we lose the opportunity to get others to to sort of catch up, right? You know, we forget what it is. Well, you know, if, you, if you're living the in the strategic financial side of UMBC and you're trying to figure out where you want to take this, your, your institution, you forget that others haven't had the hours and hours of time to engage. And then we present to them. We know we're communicating clearly, but at the same time, they don't seem to be picking up fast enough. And all that's needed is a willingness to stop and be willing to engage them to say, where are you at in this conversation? And I can help you then. And my sense is you have that, you have to remind yourself, but you have that kind of mindset around uh, bringing patience to your work. So I think, I think patience is a part of it, but I also think going into a conversation with an open mind is really important. So I don't go into a strategic conversation thinking, how am I going to convince them all that this is the right way to go? How am I going to bring them around That's to really hard to do, isn't it? my decision? It's very hard to do. It's, it is a practice and it takes constant reinforcement. So I'm telling you, every time I go into a big strategic conversation, I think to myself, okay, what do I want to get out of this? And almost always it's I want everybody to be able to have their say, to put their thoughts on the table, and to come away as a group with a a decision that we all can support. We might not all totally agree, but that we can all support. Here's why I think this is difficult, and and tell me if uh, you've experienced – I'm sure you've experienced this – the, re- the reason why we don't do more of that 
coming into a conversation with, with an open mind is we are risking getting it done in a timely way. There is no way around the fact that if you're going to make a commitment to engaging others to truly buy in and be part of understanding the problem and solution, you've got to be willing to give up this view that I need to have this done by whatever arbitrary date that we set. And and when I've worked with business officers or presidents and they find themselves giving themselves permission to step back and say, all right, let me involve others in their point of view. The, 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 the biggest hurdle they have to overcome is recognizing that they have to be willing to slow down and say, all right, I'm going to reflect on these. Like you said, I need to have an open mind. And maybe the time frame has to be effective. And I think that if, if we're not willing to, to take that on, it's going to be very hard to have an open mind. Do you think, Howard, that the that if you don't spend that time up front, you are going to spend it at the back end? That's what I think about big strategic decisions. Yeah, this is right? the classic pay me now or pay me later. Right. So right? people people will not change. They won't embrace something new, yeah. some new direction unless they've had a chance to understand it and to understand what's in it for them. I, you know, I think that's a really interesting point, Lynn, that you just said, you know, what you get, what you, people need a chance to, to integrate this sort of new change, whatever is coming. What do you get on the back end? If you, if you railroad them up front, what are you seeing on the back end that makes it so difficult? Are they, are they processing retroactively and that, that doesn't jive with the, with what your initiative is? I I think that definitely happens, Pete, but I also think that, People will resist change if they don't understand it and they don't see what's in it for them. Yeah. Well, there so you here, go, because it becomes yes. a thing about ownership, right? Yes. Being able to say that even as a participant, I own some a little piece of the future direction of this initiative. But, right. but, here, but here's the rub. I think we need to think critically about this because there's a difference between making a rule about that and getting buy-in around something that we need buy-in because a decision hasn't been made versus let's say that we made a choice around uh, whatever the tuition increase is or what we made choices around the updated budget and it's going to have a ripple effect across the campus. There's a danger sometimes of inviting people into a conversation, giving the impression that they have a voice in an outcome when in fact they don't. So we have to think really smart about what what expectation we're setting for people. And sometimes expectation needs to be we are looking at this approach and we want your input to be part of this process uh, and that's going to help us inform the process versus we have made the following decisions and we want to include you in how we're going to roll this out. And I have seen more often where these go bad is that we inadvertently lie to people about what we're inviting them to engage with when, in fact, we really have no intention of using their input. When I say this in front of groups, Lynn, I get 
overwhelming people now in their heads. It's this sense of uh, they're going through the motions to include us when, in fact, they've already decided. And there's a skeptic. This has to do with building trust, right? And and this is where I think you have. We all have to be more mindful about what are we really telling people, uh, where we want their input around. I, I think that's really important, Howard. And I'm going to go back to an earlier point. You know, people are not dense. They're not stupid. If you're going in there thinking that you're going to just sell your idea to them. And no matter what they say, you've already made up your mind. They know that. They can tell. That's right. right. So if you go into a conversation truly open and you demonstrate over time that you are truly open, the dynamic is very different. Yes. And what's what you're speaking about, that, and I'm also sort of thinking about more and more these days, and I talk about this, and we'll talk about this in our session, is the difference between skepticism and cynicism. Uh, one of the things I think is critical today are, are two things. I used to talk about optimism and hope, but then I realized that optimism and hope is sort of a variation of the same thing. I actually think what we need to recognize and embrace is skepticism and hope. We have a hard time dealing with people who show skepticism. And I think that's because we think what they're showing is cynicism. And there's a difference. Skepticism is simply that I have reservations and I want to see some evidence to support whatever claim you have. And that can that can actually elevate the conversation by, by demanding uh, – a sense of what are you basing? Is this anecdotal? Is it how you feel? Or is there some data that support it? Versus cynicism, which is really, a, in a sense, it's a bit of a predisposition to rejecting a claim. And when we're working with people on our teams or outside of our teams or faculty working with administrators and administrators working with the faculty, I think we, one, have to come from a place of uh, good faith, you know, that that we, we see the best in people. But sometimes we're going to have people in our midst who are cynical versus skeptical. And what we have to do with people like that is we have to be willing to uh, show respect but not put our, all our energy to try and convince them. Versus skeptics, we need to have more skeptics on our team. And I'll tell you something, you know, Gail and I talked about this, I think on one of the podcasts with Pete, is that what it means to bring a great, create a great team, it's not about having like-minded individuals where just everybody likes each other. Having skeptics on your team can produce a greater outcome. So that's one thing that I think is important to be able to facilitate strategic conversations. We have to recognize the kind of people that are out there and, and embrace skeptics. I, I, you know, I, I agree. Have, sorry, go ahead. Pete. Oh, I'm sorry, Lynn. I have a question uh, for both of you here because I can hear our audience listening to this and saying, okay, great. Strategy is great. How do you, you know, going into an open mind, uh, going into a, a session with an open mind, fantastic. I'm, I'm all on board. How do you approach a discussion in which the outcome is fixed? 
right? It's it's an initiative that you've been handed. It's an initiative where, in fact, you're not really looking for uh, you know for a strategic conversation on direction. You want people to buy in because you have to buy in. It's been handed to you. This is a change that needs to be made, and in some cases, you just need people to to do it. How do you? finesse a strategic conversation or use that mindset uh, when when really, you know, the outcome's already a given and still get people motivated and inspired to be a part of it and take ownership? I would say that that being handed something and told to make it happen happens quite frequently to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what I generally do with something like that is bring my team together and very openly and honestly say, we've been asked to do this. How are we going to get it done? What, what am I not seeing here? What, you know, what are the steps that we need to take? Something that engages them in in owning the issue the same way that I own it because we really all have been asked. We've all been directed to make something happen. And that's exactly where I was going to start too, Lynn, is you tell the truth and then you engage them in a conversation around how, which is exactly what you just said. The one thing I'll add to that, and, and this is, I think I have the benefit of in some ways, being an outsider, I'm an insider in some ways, and that I get, I get, we get invited into working with teams. But I am also an outsider, and I recognize that that is intentionally, and I need to remember that's my role. But as an as a observer, more of an observer than a participant, what we have to do more in higher education is give people room not to like the decision. And I think very often what happens is something's been handed to you. You might not like it. So you go to your team and you know they're not going to like it. Your unique challenge as a business as the business officer is to uh, let people know that this has been decided and we're going to work together to make this happen. Some people on your team are going to be upset about it and then – Instead of saying, let me convince you why this is good, I think you need to do everything you can to sort of say, we'll get through this together. It's, uh, here's why I believe it's good for the institution. But we spend too, too much time sometimes uh, fix, trying to fix people. And as opposed to giving people permission to not like something and get over it on their own, you cannot make people like something. And I think as, as managers, sometimes we think we can, we can do that by inspiring them. You can't you, – everyone has to come to a, a place of acceptance on their own. You can do that by – by showing that you embrace the decision, even though you might not like it. That's hard. That's, yeah, that's, that's a, a great and, point. You know, to, you know, so Lynn, I'm curious if, if you see this too. I mean, you know, I, I stood up in front of a group recently and I said, how many, show of hands, how many firstborns do we have in the room? And I just say that because I'm a firstborn and I'm a fixer. You know, I'm always looking <laughs> to fix things, right? It's also, what you know, I, I won't say it's, it's, overwhelmingly a guy thing, but I keep getting reminded, you know, from my wife at home, just listen, don't fix, right? I'm just trying to explain something. And I'm so quick to want to fix. And I think as as managers, we want to fix situations, whether they're technical, but around people, 
I think we need to learn more of the art of letting people go through uh, going from not liking something to coming to terms with it on their own. And it's okay if they're in that space for a period of time. I think that this is a really important concept. And in fact, I think it bridges across most of the things I do, including delegation, learning how to delegate, and dealing with challenging relationships, dealing with conflict. To me, giving other people the opportunity to go through their own development by complaining about something, seeing how that goes over. Uh, I will sometimes challenge somebody who's complaining, but not in a negative way. I'll just ask good questions and um, try to insert uh, just another way of looking at an issue. Which is very different from uh, trying to, I mean, I love the nuance that you put on that is that because if all we did is let people complain, uh, the danger would be we'd put our energy and focus there. You know, what I tell people who have somebody who's who's really unhappy with the decision for whatever reason. Maybe they've, they've been working there a long time and you've changed the process or a structure on them and they're not happy about it. What I suggest to leaders in that situation is to sit down with that person, honor that they're unhappy about something, not do not agree with them, but, but listen, and then say, listen, in a month, we're going to have this conversation again. And I'm hoping when we sit down a month from now, you're going to be in a different place. Because what that does is this tells the person, you have time to work through this, but you don't have infinite time. That's That's a really good suggestion. Yes, I'm going to use that one, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) It is really good. And what I love so much about it, and it's something that I think is lost on so many managers, is that some degree of discomfort and pain and grousing and complaining is okay. Yes. It is it's a sign of a healthy processing organization. Am I lying? You're not lying and, you and I not. think and, and I think that what it does is it it allows people to authentically go through uh, grieving a change to coming to terms with it and then embracing it. The more we spend time trying to convince somebody they're wrong or you know why can't you be like so and so or stop complaining the longer we approach them with that mindset the longer they're going to stay stuck in that negative place just a fact i like it i love it i love it uh this is a great conversation do we have any any final words as we wrap up and and i get to the big final question well Here's what I'll say, and then Lynn, I'd love to have. Here's what Lynn and our plan is. We're gonna. I what I love about presenting with Lynn is that Lynn is really easy, and that Lynn's willing to sort of uh, not have to over-engineer the presentation. My guess is, Lynn, you'd be fine if we got up there, we had some concepts, and we led a conversation and didn't use PowerPoint at all. I mean, could you imagine if we didn't use PowerPoint? I mean, that would be sacrilegious, right? I could totally imagine not using PowerPoint. But so, So our goal, and Lynn keeps reminding me about this, which is great, which is 
she wants and I want most of this conversation to live with people in the room. So this is going to be not a talk to. This is going to be we've got some concepts we want to impart, but we're going to be we're going to do what we can to be interested in what the group wants to talk about. And it's around how do we facilitate strategic conversations? How do you once you get people together, how do you engage all voices? And how do you adjust your course and show flexibility when you realize the group is stuck in an old mindset? So that and a number of other things we'll be talking about. So, so Lynn, I think that's what we're going to do. And, and whether or not we have wine in front of the room, that'll be a different story. We've got to figure out what time we're doing the session. I think it's at 9.30 in the morning. But. Oh, definitely. Well, hey. mimosas, maybe. It's mimosas? W- there it's you go. Al- it's oh, that's mimosas. Perfect. perfect. It's always wine o'clock somewhere, people. Come on. This I, is great. Howard, that sounds great. And, and I would like to at least spend a little bit of time in our session talking about why chief business officers or business officers need to learn how to facilitate these strategic conversations, need to learn how to take part in those strategic conversations. And the engage all voices is something that we really need to think about because you and I, Howard, are classic extroverts. You know, we think out loud, we, you know, talk fast, we, you know, come out with our ideas immediately. There are a lot of people who are not comfortable with that. Uh, style and and so their voices sometimes don't get heard in the same way and so when we do these strategic conversations we need to find ways for everybody to be in their comfort zone their way of thinking and their way of offering their ideas i love it fantastic once again ikubo 2015 annual meeting october 11th through 14th in philly at the marriott downtown you gotta go it's a great town first of all great town great location it's going to be a great conference uh thank you so much lynn for your time today thanks pete when, thanks howard when you You're when welcome. you take over the role as chair and mike hands you the the crown and the ikubo scepter <laughs> uh what's the first thing you're going to undo that he did <laughs> is there do you have a list of thing great things that mike gower did that you're going to just wipe clean and, the slate and just, and just know lynn just <laughs> no. know that pete pete is a uh, pete that that mike gower is now running he's actually on his run right now listening to this so he is anxiously <laughs> waiting to hear what you're going to say that's right Mike Gower and I have had this saying for the last two years that he's been chair that, you know, if you talk to one of us, you've talked to both of us because we think very much the same way about what needs to happen. And my job is to take all the groundwork that's been laid and continue to move it forward so that Ikubo continues to serve us, our members. Uh, in the way that we need it to serve us. You are a very diplomatic and gracious respondent. <laughs> I, as much as I try to bait Mike Gower remotely through you, uh, you just won't let me do it. I appreciate your diligence to the uh, cause. And uh, I'm raising a glass to you right now, Mike. So Same thanks. here. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn Schaefer, uh, soon chair of Ikubo, and uh, joining us from University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Thank you so much, Lynn and Howard Teibel. Thank you for your time and wisdom today. Always. You're the best. On behalf of Howard Teibel and Lynn Schaefer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel, Inc. Mm-hmm.